from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, March 20th. Made it to Friday, friends. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Ahead in this hour, some big news in the NFC West yesterday. The Rams, we know they've maxed out their credit card, they've been struggling with some salary cap issues. Mega contracts for Jared Goff for Todd Gurley, for Aaron Donald in the past couple of years. And now they had to make some sacrifices yesterday. They cut running back Todd Gurley, linebacker Clay Matthews as well. So we'll dig into that. Todd Gurley already with a new home, though. That would be the Atlanta Falcons. There was some discussion over Pete Carroll could be picking up that phone. You know, he's probably in on a call there, but ultimately going to Dan Quinn, Uh, and the Falcons across the country, going home of sorts because he did play college at Georgia. So uh, interesting there. We'll also take a look at what the Rams are left with, how the NFC West is shaping up. Chris Sale will have Tommy John surgery and Jeff Passan also commenting on a possibility of a year without baseball, which seems pretty weird. Plus, New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton tested positive for the coronavirus, so he becomes the first NFL personnel member to uh, to have a known positive test we'll discuss the nfl's response to that it's all ahead in this hour right now let's get to your headlines todd Gurley's been a staple of the rams since being drafted there in 2015 but facing their salary cap challenges the rams released running back Todd Gurley and linebacker Clay Matthews on Thursday. The Rams had made Gurley the highest paid running back in NFL history before the 2018 season when they gave him a four-year $60 million extension that included $45 million in guarantees. At the time of the extension, Gurley had two seasons remaining left on his rookie contract, and now this will cost the Rams big time. They released Gurley with a post-June 1 designation, meaning the Rams will end up spreading the dead money cap charges, $11.75 million, over two seasons. The team will also see $5.5 million in cap savings that becomes available on June 2nd. Todd Gurley with a kind of funny tweet yesterday. I said, dang, I got fired on my day off. Hashtag quarantine and chill. The Rams worked themselves into... A tough spot with their cap decisions, cap based on decisions of the past 20 months uh, to give big paydays to Gurley, to quarterback Jared Goff, defensive tackle Aaron Donald and receiver Brandon Cooks. Now 26 year old Gurley becomes uh, a victim of that situation. Rams selected him 10th overall back in 2015. His 58 rushing touchdowns were tied with Marshall Falk for most in franchise history. Gurley's usage last season, though, was down from 2018 when he rushed for over 1,200 yards and scored a league-high 21 touchdowns. Uh, Gurley rushed for a career-low 857 yards last season, and there was a lot of questions about the health of his knee, uh, his left knee that he had surgery on uh, in, in college when he played at Georgia. But uh, but a lot of questions surrounding him. There were times last year when uh, he was effective, and uh, particularly one when Shan, the one that stands out to me is when Sean McVay called himself an idiot for not giving Curly more touches. Me not being an idiot. 
uh, you know, no, I, I think uh, he's felt good and really he's done a nice job with that. So, um, you know, really it, it was, you know, you look at the Chicago game and then kind of just going from there, you don't want to make some of the same mistakes that you ended up making earlier on in the, in the season. And I think he's done a nice job handling a bigger workload, but then also you do have confidence in those other guys if they need to give him a spell. Overall, in five seasons with the Rams, Gurley rushed for just over 5,400 yards, an average of 4.3 yards per carry. He has 70 total touchdowns. Also uh, caught some through the air, 218 passes for another 2,000 yards. Travis Rogers of ESPN LA talked about the move to cut Gurley and how it speaks volumes about what the league thinks of him. The fact that they cut him and didn't make a deal to send him somewhere else, even for you know, obviously some lesser players or maybe some draft picks, but that they just outright cut him, I think probably tells you a little bit about how the rest of the league views Todd Gurley, that nobody wanted to give up anything. I think maybe the teams that have an interest in him, maybe think that he can get him on the cheap moving forward. Um, the fact that they weren't able to move him leads you to believe that maybe people are worried about that knee. And then obviously with everything that's been going on the last couple of weeks and months here with the the coronavirus, people haven't been able to examine him. No one's been able to get him into a facility and say, okay, it's good. Okay, it's not good. So it, it'll be interesting. I think once we get back to some sort of normal situations where teams can bring guys in and talk and evaluate them, I think you'll see a, a pretty good market for him. Lindsay Theory, who does a great job reporting on the Rams for ESPN, talked about how quickly, how surprising it was to her that the Rams soured on him so quickly, though. I had been hearing really since the end of the season that the Rams just wanted to part ways with Todd Gurley, and yet it's still surprising um, when it's all said and done that this is what it came down to, that a guy who less than two years ago, they were so proud to make the highest-paid running back in NFL history, and now here we are, Todd Gurley's no longer a Ram. He's no longer a Ram, but uh, he is an Atlanta Falcon, at least according to the report a day after being released by the Rams. Uh, ESPN's Jordan Schultz reporting that Gurley agreed to a one-year deal with the Falcons. The Falcons had released starting running back Devonta Freeman on Monday. Also in L.A., uh, Clay Matthews, a six-time Pro Bowl selection who joined the Rams last season after 10 years, a decade, with the Green Bay Packers, uh, was released. He was due to earn a $2 million roster bonus at 1 p.m. Pacific time yesterday if he was still on the roster. So his release creates uh, just under $4 million in salary cap space for the Rams, who uh, signed him during free agency last year to a two-year deal worth up to $9.25 million. He played 13 games last season, had eight sacks, his most since 2014. He was sidelined for three games after Seahawks fans will remember this, suffering a broken jaw in week five against the Seahawks in their win against them on Thursday night football. But the Rams now in an interesting situation and Travis Rogers of ESPN LA commenting on this is the first time that Sean McVay in his mind has really had to prove himself. This is going to be the first time since Sean McVay has been the head coach of this team. And and I don't want to overstate this because I don't think it's a huge deal, but this is the first time that people are going to be looking at him and saying, okay, let's go. Let's see it. Because I do think that when the dust settles and we find out exactly what's going on, that there's going to have been a decision inside the organization to go away from Todd Gurley and ultimately I think whether it's fair or unfair it's going to land some of that on on Sean McVay's plate and you know he was the guy that had reinvented offensive football a couple of years ago that we we're going to have to change the rules but for the first time since he's been the head coach it's going to be a okay show me kind of year not that he's on the hot seat it's not that but you know his rookie year was a we don't know who this guy is the next year is this is going to be great and they went to the super bowl and then last year was a okay this is an off year not a big deal let's see what comes next well what comes next is this season and one of their best players isn't here anymore 
The New Orleans Saints uh, head coach Sean Baton tests positive for the coronavirus. He told ESPN yesterday, 56-year-old is the first person in the NFL world known to test positive for the virus, said he was just feeling a little under the weather this past Sunday, took the test the next day, and then received the results Thursday afternoon. He said he's resting at home. He's quarantined. He said he's actually part of the 20% of the cases that have had no fever and no cough. Uh, but he will self-quarantine in his home through the weekend. He said that he's remaining upbeat and optimistic about a full recovery and also uh, talked about, he said, quote, this is not just about social distancing. It's shutting down here for a week or two weeks. If people understand the curve and understand the bump, we can easily work together as a country to reduce it. He spoke to Adam Schefter as well, and this was Shefty on Sean Payton's message to the community. I think it's important that we get this out there, and these are his words, and being that he wanted to get the attention of everybody, let's just read exactly what he said. He said, if people understand the curve and understand the bump, we can easily work together as a country to reduce it. Take a minute to understand what the experts are saying. Just that type of small investment by every one of us will have a dramatic impact. So this may change things for the NFL moving forward. Uh, they have no statement as of this time, but they could issue one and also talk about how they will proceed here moving forward. The Saints staff has not met collectively since early last week, and most started working from home last Thursday and Friday, but will await for updates on this. The virus has spread throughout the world, of course, but Louisiana has been one of the most uh, affected states here in the U.S., also, quick note, Boston Red Sox left-hander Chris Hale will undergo Tommy John surgery. He chose to undergo the procedure now because he, of course, things are up in the air right now with coronavirus. And, and if the possibility of baseball could happen this year, it looks like it may be the all-star break. That would be that would be like the best case scenario, right? As of now, I've seen Jeff Pass and talk about that. But uh, to, uh, but Chris Sale choosing to go ahead with Tommy John surgery during this time so that he won't have to miss out on a significant time in the 2021 season. Here's Jeff Passan talking about Tommy John surgery for him and that it was really inevitable. If he came back during the 2020 season and was not healthy, he was going to need Tommy John surgery eventually. And that eventuality was going to come and potentially cost him his 2021 season as well. This way, and, and with questions about when the baseball season is going to begin, it just made sense for him to get it over with now, get the surgery out of the way and come back healthy in April or May of next year. Up next on The Blitz, Danny O'Neill joining the conversation for a few minutes yesterday, at least a few hours. We thought maybe Todd Gurley uh, could be getting a phone call from Pete Carroll and what would have been his role here in Seattle if if it ha- if that had happened. I'll ask Danny O'Neill that and how he feels about him going to Atlanta. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, March 20th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Todd Gurley, we thought he might be getting a call from Pete Carroll yesterday, entertained that possibility for a couple of hours. Joe Fan of NBC Sports saying that this could be a possibility in Seattle because if he took a minimum deal, he's still owed a significant amount of money by the Rams over the next two seasons that maybe it could work. And then this morning, the news coming down that he was going to sign a deal with the Atlanta Falcons. So our uh, our entertainment possibilities went down a little bit this morning. Danny O'Neill, how are you, my friend? 
I'm doing really good. How are you, Lydia? I'm good. Now, are you kind of relieved that this news happened because you weren't into the possibility of Todd Gurley coming to Seattle or or bummed that this wasn't at least a conversation that took place? I did not want Gurley here. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that would be if he's if he's getting a league minimum deal, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And even then, you're basically signing him with the hope that some of the younger guys are going to take all of the playing time. Um, so that's that's a, a real difficulty when when you're trying to plan for what's ahead. And the Rams are sufficiently unenthused with him that they're going to take twenty million of dead cap. They're they're gonna he is going to count twenty million dollars against their salary cap over the next two years, yeah. and he's not going to play for them. And and if it when a team's at that point, you're like that's an awful lot of evidence that that guy's just not capable of performing at that level anymore. And he's going to Atlanta, which I think is telling. That's that's a team that has lost a, a number of players this offseason. He's from Georgia, mm-hmm. so there's there's like a little bit of of a public blip that happens there. Going home, yeah, I would agree to the his injury concerns. I really worry about that left knee of his. Uh, he had surgery back in college, and I think you've seen over the past couple of years, although both player and team have assured you that that's not the issue for his reps declining, that that's a huge part of it. And unfortunately, uh, with that position, your your career just doesn't last too long to begin with. He's only 26, but still. Yeah, and it's a risk when you when you have – when you're taking a contract, when you're signing a contract to a running back, it kind of shows us how how not lucky but successful the Seahawks were with Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, the fact that 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 panned out as well as it did. Typically, it doesn't, and you see it reflected. You see it reflected in in the the running back economy. Melvin Gordon was a franchise tagged player last year. He held out for the Chargers. He's not gotten so much as a sniff on the open market, and I think it also shows that the Rams in many ways wasted their window of opportunity where they had spending room. It wasn't yeah. that long ago that they had won back-to-back division titles, that they felt that they were in position to go for it. They signed Indomitian Sue. They traded for Aqib Talib. They, they, they traded for Marcus Peters, and they, they loaded it up to go all in. And now, two years later, they didn't make the playoffs last year. I think they were, I think they were a good team. I, I, don't, I don't think they'd fallen off the cliff yet. But now you look at it, Michael Brockers has left. They've had to release Clay Matthews. They've had to release Todd Gurley. They're talking about trading Brandon Cooks. Robbie like Coleman, that, too. Th- yeah, that, that little window of opportunity is gone for them. And it shows that even when you get it all set up, it can kind of go to pop pretty quickly. And handing out big contracts can certainly be a part of that. Aaron Donald, I'm not sure anyone would argue too much against that, but there's some discussion about how much money they gave Jared Goff, definitely about how much money they gave Todd Gurley, maybe less so about Brandon Cooks, but four big contracts, I'd say, put them in a in a tough, tough cap situation. Plus, they leveraged a lot of their draft picks over the past couple of years to make those trades. Yes, they did. And they're going to have a hard time rebuilding right here in the near future. The Seahawks did, you hate didn't do to it see it, Danny. Yeah. The, the Seahawks didn't do it perfectly. I mean, they they traded for Percy Harvin, and that didn't that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an awful lot of money and some draft capital that went to a player that that played a total of six regular season games for him. But they also had enough talent that they were able to withstand that. And when you start stacking a couple of mistakes up on top of each other like that it gets really, really tough. And maybe it's a matter that their quarterback just isn't as good as Russell, 
because you do have to have the quarterback come through when he's in that situation. So it'll be it'll be real telling to see what what the Rams look like next season. I don't think we're going to hear as much about Sean McVay being the young genius. Yeah, I heard 710 in L.A. talking about how this is the first year that they feel like he really has to prove himself that uh this because of the move with Gurley, uh, he probably inevitably had a big part in that decision that he will really be under the microscope this season. I wouldn't disagree with that. Maybe it's all the years, though, that Jeff Fisher's a mediocre team still managed to beat the Seahawks that I have like I just have trouble saying going out on a limb and saying they're going to be bad next year because I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I feel the same way. I think they're better than the Cardinals. And we'll we'll see how it goes. I I do think that ultimately the trajectory of their team is going to be determined by Goff and how good Goff yeah. is. But you've got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Those those guys are both at the top of their position group. They're going to have a new defensive coordinator. I don't I don't think they're done. But I do think that window that they had, where okay, here we can really go for it. They didn't they didn't get as much as they could have out of it, in part because because the Todd Gurley contract ended up hamstringing them. What's the easiest way to turn around a team within the span of a year? Because we've seen it in the past couple of seasons. Obviously, the San Francisco 49ers are probably uh, one of the best examples of that, but they also had really high draft picks. What's the best way to, or how could the Rams, for instance, turn around their team in the span of a year? The best way for them to get back on top? Yes. Well, they kind of already... You need first round picks to do that. Mm-hmm. When, when you're going to turn around, you can't do it in free agency because it's too expensive. And any fix you buy in free agency is is destined to be a short term fix. We don't want no scrubs. The, no, what they've got to do is they they've got to have it rally around the quarterback. Their their quarterback. The the quickest way for them to get back on top is to have Jared Goff be a top ten quarterback in this league. And that's really has to be the emphasis because there's no moving on from him. There's no finding somebody different. I don't think he has it in him. I, I don't. I don't think that's what's going to be what what he's got. But that's honestly their their big hope at this point because between that or or finding a young aggressive defense with later round picks to build around Donald and, and Ramsey, that's that's about it. They don't have. They've traded away their first round picks, so they don't have that capital to be able to build with. Yeah, you hate to see it. It's true. <laughs> I'm sure much more of this discussion uh, coming up at 7. I'm I'm excited to hear your point. I know Paul's got some strong feelings on the matter as well. Yep, it sounds good. We'll look forward to talking to you at 7, Lydia. Thanks so much. Danny O'Neill, listen to him every morning from 7 to 10 a.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. So you don't miss amazing interviews like the one they had yesterday with Bruce Irvin. Coming back to the team that drafted him, a great conversation with Bruce. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Friday, March 20th. When you heard the news that we're surfing, was coming home to Seattle to the team that drafted him back in 2012. News made a lot of people happy, not just for what he can accomplish on the fields and some much-needed depth on that D-line, but also because of his personality, which is larger than life. He is pretty incredible, and he sat, or he took time to chat with Danny and Gallant yesterday uh, and part of their show. Here is Bruce. First, I, I want to say congratulations. 
This is this is really cool right. that you're getting a chance to to come back and to continue your career. Man, it's this is going to be your ninth season, and that's just that's awesome. And I feel like as someone that's been able to watch how your career has grown and gone on, it's really remarkable everything you've accomplished. Um, it is, especially uh, you know, especially you know from where I had to come from. So, uh, you know, nobody nobody would have thought I'd be going on year nine. Shoot, I didn't even think think I will make it this far, but here we are. I'm I'm back with you beautiful people and uh you guys just keep on continuing to bless me, so I'm gonna keep taking them. How much did you miss it over the last four? Man. I, I mean I, I'm I'm always grateful for opportunities, you know, but it's nowhere like Seattle, you know, from it's it's just a first class organization from you know, from the way we eat facilities the way we traveled or we stayed you know when I was younger you know I, I was always told like you know it's not always greener on the other side so you know I, I found out that that was true but you know nonetheless I was I'm grateful for every opportunity that that was given to me but you know I just feel like nowhere is like Seattle I moved here from Houston about five months ago do you have any tips for a person who's still figuring the city out <laughs> don't wash the car too much, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That'll take care of it. Uh, let me get caught up on you because you have your, your son is is Braden. Is he about six now? Is he is he that old? Braden is six. Braden is six. He'd be seven June thirteenth. But now I have Brody too. How old's Brody? Uh, another one. Brody's like a a month and a half. He's thirteen pounds at a month and a half. Jeez. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> That's absolutely phenomenal. Congratulations on that. I thought I thought it'd be fun to play a highlight. And this comes this comes from your second season um and the year that you guys ended up winning the Super Bowl. And I know it's one of the things cuz I was I was thinking about which highlight to play and you've got a couple pick sixes which a lot of guys do not have, but I know I know you well enough to know that that's not what you truly like. What you truly like is the opportunity to tackle the quarterback. Offset eye this time Man. as Luck goes under center. Play fake to him. Here comes the blitz. Luck is going to go down. Bruce Irvin comes off the corner like a shot. Welcome back, Bruce. First sack of the season for him. We expect a lot more. Eight on the year last year, a nine-yard loss on that play. Are you going to get to chase the quarterback this year? Yeah, that's that's the plan. You know, I had a great conversation with Pete with Pete yesterday, and that's the plan. So, uh, you know, I'm just do whatever they need me to do. You know, um, I feel like I got a lot of great ball left in me, and I'm just happy to be able to, you know, hopefully in my in, in, ended up here in Seattle where it all started. At. What NFC West quarterback are you looking forward most to potentially sacking? Kyler Murray, probably Kyler Murray, because I was hurt last year, and then get to play him um, when Carolina played him up in AZ. So probably Kyler Murray, because I was sacked. Zimmy he's a squirrely guy. <laughs> yeah, he's squirrely. He he is a little squirrely guy. How about Jimmy G? Well, actually, we're calling him James yeah. G. And, until he, until until he shows he shows a little bit more, he's going to be known as James Garoppolo. James Richard Garoppolo. How about Jimmy G? I, I got Jimmy last year twice, so you know I ain't tripping on Jimmy, and I got Jared Goff before too. So you know, only one I need to get is you know I even got Russell before. 
You remember That's that? That's true. I do remember when you got Russell. <laughs> I think everybody remembers when you got Russell. Was that awkward? A little bit. It was a bittersweet moment, you know. Into a tight slot left side. Russ has time. Looks. Get rid of the football. Russ, look out. B. Chase goes down. Clock did not go off in Russell's head that time as he was tracked down and dropped. Bruce Irvin, the former Seahawk and former Russell teammate on that Super Bowl team, tracks him down coming from all the way around the backside. Who's the toughest quarterback you've ever sacked? The toughest guy to sack? Toughest guy? Probably Russell. I've been playing Russell since college. I played him in college. You know, I practiced against him for four years, and I played him, what, twice already? Mm-hmm. I would say Russell. Is it because he's so quick? I don't know. He just got like a like like an intuition or like a certain instinct about him. Like he would know when somebody close and he can spin out of it or do whatever. Like it's just amazing that he's he's going on year nine. He's still doing the exact same stuff that he was doing on year two and three. I've heard a lot of really funny stories about you, but nothing I think gets me going more than the story about your interaction with Jimmy Graham. Could you take us back through that moment in time? <laughs> Just I don't know. It was Jimmy, Jimmy, I don't know. Jimmy, Jimmy was tripping that day. That's all I can say, really. He just, we, I mean, we warm up. It's our home field. We warm up on that side of the field like every game. And, you know, he thought he could just go over there and catch passes. And, you know, that was, I feel like that was very disrespectful. So uh, I caught, I took his ball and I kicked it. And, you know, as he's seen, he knocked my hat off or something, you know. So, I don't know. It was a whole, we, we laughed about it when he came to Seattle. It was just a little funny situation. It was really funny. You know what it was like? It was like Debo in Friday. It was like, that's my ball. And then he kicked it over the other side. Uh, one of the other plays, and I don't know if you'll remember this, and maybe you don't. One of my favorite plays it was actually, it happened in that game in San Diego. You remember when it was so hot down there? It was like week two. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. And you're and you're chasing Phillip Rivers, and you're chasing him down. You're going an awful long way. Here's the highlight. Third and seven from the 24, empty backfield. Now Woodhead moves back into the backfield. Royal is slotted. Here comes the blitz. Rivers got a scramble, rolling to his right. Has some time, pointing away. Now Irvin chases him and runs him out of bounds. Oh, Bruce, no! (laughs) Here's the thing that I love about that, because anybody who's ever watched Phillip Rivers play wanted him to get clobbered there and it was just like i could just see in your mind bruce you're like i've run way too far not to hit this dude i just got that's exactly how i felt though like for real like damn i ran all this way like i got i gotta hit him but i i remember that play like it was yesterday (laughs) as soon as you turned it on (laughs) that was crazy Bruce, no. Um, here would be the other thing that 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 I that I really wanted to ask you about, kind of in the interim and being able to come back. What was it that you missed most about Seattle? The most, probably the fans. Honestly, um, you know, the, you know, organization is great, but you know, you know, there's no organization without great fans. So, I would say the fans, man. You no, know, no matter where I went, they continue to. Uh, wish well upon me, and you know, wish me, wish me success, no matter where I was, where I played. You know, uh, so that just says a lot about 
the fan base and you know uh, how great and how great uh, how great of great of people that, that, that they have up in Washington. So man, it's just you know it's a privilege and I'm just like I said, I'm just happy to be able to go back and play in front of the Twelves. Welcome back, Bruce. I, for one, excited for many more of those interviews. Full interview of that available for you at 710sports.com. Just click on the podcast tab. Up next on the Blitz, though, it's time for the hot list. More positive uh, test cases for COVID-19 in the NBA, including two Los Angeles Lakers players, plus uh, surgery for Chris Sale, Tommy John surgery, and when baseball could return, if at all, this ne- this year. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Boston Red Sox left-hander Chris Sale will undergo Tommy John surgery. He chose to undergo the procedure now out of fear that it could delay and cause him to miss a significant amount of the 2021 season. According to ESPN's Jeff Passan, recovery from UCL repairs in the elbow typically take anywhere from 12 to 14 months. But really, I think guys should rehab for 16 to 18. You saw Marco Gonzalez coming back from Tommy John surgery and initially having a couple of struggles when they come back because it is major surgery. And uh, it's actually healthier, in my opinion, for these guys to wait just a little bit longer. So Jeff Passan saying him getting TJ was inevitable. If he came back during the 2020 season and was not healthy, he was going to need Tommy John surgery eventually. And that eventuality was going to come and potentially cost him his 2021 season as well. This way, and and with questions about when the baseball season is going to begin, it just made sense for him to get it over with now, get the surgery out of the way, and come back healthy in April or May of next year. That puts Sale on pace to return early in 2021. Now, there's still a lot of question marks about when baseball could be back. Jeff Passan said it could be a year without baseball. I had been hearing... Nope, that would be Lindsay Theory. But Jeff Passan had a quote about that yesterday. Um, And also, we've got a couple of managers weighing in on the subject, uh, including Aaron Boone. He's saying while the time off is actually helping his team, who was hampered by injuries throughout spring training, including ones to star players like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, especially that pitching staff also hit really hard, uh, including James Paxton, the former M, Aaron Boone on the time off actually helping the Yankees rehab. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's all tempered, obviously, with this being such a enormous thing, bigger than all of us and bigger than baseball, certainly. But, but yeah, Giancarlo's doing great. Um, he's, he's getting really close to being ready as it is. He's He's been hitting and running out in the field, and so so he's he's pretty close. If we were to ramp up camp very soon, he's in there pretty much. Uh, James Paxton started his throwing program about a week ago, and he's doing great. Um, so we're really encouraged with them. And then this has given Aaron Judge the time to to allow that bone to heal, that rib to heal, and, and so this time hopefully is is something that allows that and, and, and would it hopefully expect him back as well. And Here's Jeff Passan on 
playing perhaps no baseball this year. Hopefully, everything has cleared out by May to let the players ramp back up and get ready for a season that begins theoretically in early June. But there's also the possibility that coronavirus could last throughout the summer and that the spread might not be mitigated and that we're looking at a year without baseball at all. Gonna have to play a lot of, of Griffey baseball on N64 to, you know, satisfy that and watch old games. Uh, an option on MLB. Boston Celtics guard Marcus Smart and two Los Angeles Lakers players tested positive for COVID-19. Both teams announcing that yesterday, although they did not identify the players by name. It was actually Smart coming out on social media and posting a tweet confirming that he tested positive. What's up, everyone? So I just found out I tested positive for the coronavirus. I'm okay. I feel fine. Um, I don't feel any of the symptoms. Um, but I can't stress enough of practicing social distancing and really, you know, keeping yourself away from a large group of people um, and just really washing your hands and, and, and help protect yourself and help protect others by protecting yourself. Thank you. His tweet was even more of a plea for especially the younger generation. He said, in our country, the younger generation must self-distance. This is not a joke. Not doing so is selfish. Together we can beat this, but we must beat it together by being apart for a short while. Boston said in a statement that the Celtics player, which was later confirmed to be smart, was tested because of exposure to a known positive case. The team said he had not exhibited symptoms and had been in isolation for several days. Uh, Lakers players were tested Wednesday, received their results a day later, and L.A. prompted David's players tested after four Brooklyn Nets players tested positive for COVID-19 on Tuesday. The tally of known cases in the NBA is up to 14. Uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell of Utah Jazz, Christian Wood of Detroit Pistons, Kevin Durant, and three other Nets players. Uh, Smart, also one member of the Denver Nuggets organizations, three individuals within the uh, 76ers organization, and now two Lakers as of now. Well, Detroit's been an interesting place to work if you are a football player the past couple of seasons under head coach Matt Patricia. We've heard um, several headlines come out of there, plus a couple of the trades that had people scratching their heads, including, well, not here in Seattle, the one for Quandre Diggs. We were excited about it, but a lot of people, including a lot of players on that team, spoke very vocally about trading the defensive captain of the team, including Darius Slay at the time. And the cornerback earlier this week was dealt to the Philadelphia Eagles for two draft picks. And he spoke to ESPN recently about his difficult relationship with Patricia over the past couple of years. He just said that he didn't see eye to eye a lot with his former head coach. He talked about his respect for Lions owner Martha Ford, for his teammates, for the city of Detroit, but said that uh, his relationship was definitely complicated. He pointed to two instances in 2018 in particular that really led to a rift between the two. And that was before Matt Patricia, keep in mind, had even coached his first game with them. But the first was a one-on meeting with Patricia. Uh, after Slay had returned, he worked out with Richard Sherman, Akib Talib, Xavier Rhodes. Slay had just come off his first Pro Bowl appearance and an All-Pro nod uh, after leading the NFL with eight interceptions in 2017. And he said in this conversation that Patricia told him he wasn't elite and that uh, sort of he just didn't understand that. He told me I uh, was a good player, but that he that I wasn't elite. So he said he bounced uh back with two back-to-back Pro Bowl Pro Bowlers to let him know how elite I was. 
Also, there was an incident that even bothered him more, and that was during a team meeting after a training camp practice when a, couple, a player caught a couple of passes on him. He posted a picture with a player on social that player on social media, and Patricia basically put that photo up in on the board in the in the team meeting and sort of used it to try to embarrass him and tell him to stop kissing up to the other player, uh, but that it was in a more profane way. And Slay said that's when he completely lost respect for him, that they were able to sort of mend their relationship and work together over the next couple of seasons, especially uh, 2019. He said he didn't have any problems except when the trade of one of Slay's close friends, Safety Quandary Diggs, happened at midseason and he had to express his displeasure publicly. And then he was looking for a fresh start at that point. And that's um, ultimately perhaps what led to the trade to Philadelphia. Patricia also commented, you can read his comments in the story, but basically wouldn't go into too many details and said that he and Slay, yes, had conversations, but he viewed them as constructive over the years. New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton tested positive for the coronavirus. He told ESPN on Thursday, 56-year-old is the first person in the NFL community known to have tested positive for the virus. Peyton said he didn't feel well this past Sunday, took the test the next day, received the results Thursday afternoon, and that he is self-quarantined and resting at home. He also said he's part of the 20% of cases that have no fever and no cough, but he's going to remain self-quarantined moving forward. And he had a message, a plea for the community as well, according to Adam Schefter. I think it's important that we get this out there, and these are his words And being that he wanted to get the attention of everybody, let's just read exactly what he said. He said, if people understand the curve and understand the bump, we can easily work together as a country to reduce it. Take a minute to understand what the experts are saying. Just that type of small investment by every one of us will have a dramatic impact. I'm Adam Schefter and Dan Graziano both commenting on how the league will proceed here and Dan Graziano uh, on the NFL on how to move forward. I think what the league is doing is I know the league, I know the NFLPA have been in touch with the CDC, with uh, medical experts on this. They're trying to figure out the right way to proceed. They decided to start the league year this year or this week, excuse me, on time because it didn't require a bunch of people to be in the same room together. And what we're trying to avoid, obviously, is large gatherings of people. Yes, large gatherings of people, but also making it difficult for players to get physical. So if deals aren't done this week, a lot of experts saying that uh, players could have to wait to sign deals here in free agency for a while. That also could affect the Seahawks' ability to get Jadavian Clowney or at least locked up and if that is a possibility still for them, as it was looking like it, it has been in the past couple of days when we haven't heard his name tied to too many other teams in their reports. Tom Brady took to social media to announce that he is officially joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, posted a photo of him uh, signing his contract. The Buccaneers gave the former New England Patriots quarterback a two-year deal, according to Adam Schefter. And Tom talked about how he is excited, humble, and hungry. If there is one thing I've learned about football, it's that nobody cares what you did last year or the year before that. You earn the trust and respect of those around you your, through your commitment every single day. He wrote that on Instagram. And Arians also his head, new head coach with some kind words for him as well. The Rams have been faced with challenging salary cap situation over the past couple of years, uh, due in large part to getting into some tricky situations with mega deals for Todd Gurley, for Jared Goff, for Aaron Donald, even Brandon Cooks. But yesterday, Todd Gurley becoming a victim of that situation. The Rams had made Gurley the highest-paid running back in the NFL uh, 
or in NFL history, excuse me, for the 2018 season when they gave him a four-year, $60 million extension that included $45 million in guarantees. At the time, Gurley had two seasons remaining on his rookie contract and now released by the Rams not that far after that. The Rams released Gurley with, uh, with a post-June 1 designation, so that means the Rams will spread the den money, cap charges, $11.75 million over two years, and the team will also see $5.5 million in cap savings that becomes available on June 2nd. Uh, we thought maybe he could get a call from Pete Carroll that maybe uh, if he is owed a significant chunk of money from the Rams over the next two years, that maybe he would agree to a minimum league deal. So a lot of discussion about that on Twitter in the afternoon uh, yesterday. But it's already been silenced because according to ESPN and Jordan Schultz, Todd Gurley agreed to a contract with the Atlanta Falcons on Friday, a day after being released by the Los Angeles Rams. Um, and now it'll be interesting to watch this progression. We heard the trade of DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals earlier this week. It seemed like the NFC West just kept getting better and better. We know the San Francisco 49ers aren't going away anytime soon. And now where are the Rams in that discussion, though? Because uh, they've leveraged so much of their draft capital over the past couple of seasons uh, to go all in on their Super Bowl runs. We'll see how it shakes out here in the future as we move through free agency. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gallant coming your way in just minutes right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.